and welcome to Season 4, Episode 3 of Stoppage Time, the Sorry FA podcast. Today we are joined by Owen Coyle Jr., Head Coach of the England Amputee Football Team. Welcome, Owen. Thank you for joining us. Pleasure, Eve. Thank you very much for having me on and looking forward to chatting. No, it's great to have you. Thank you. Um, for those of you that may not know you, can you introduce yourself and tell us a bit more about you? Yeah, most definitely. So, um, first of all, my name's on Coyle. I'm 25 years old. I'm the head coach of the England Amputee National Team. Um, and whilst operating that role, I also help run the day-to-day operations of the England Amputee Football Association charity, which involves our league programme, our junior programme, and our awareness work that we do also. Um, in addition to that, I've got various uh, roles within the world of football um, and a number of different businesses that I operate in as well, which I think we'll probably speak about a little bit more later on. Perfect. It sounds like you do a lot um, in the world of football, which is great, and we love to hear it. Um, can you just tell us a bit more about amputee football and how it sort of varies from the mainstream game? Yeah, definitely. So amputee football is played, first of all, at 7v7, um, and the players that play the sport either have an upper body limb deficiency or amputation, or a lower body limb deficiency or lower body amputation. Um, those obviously come about in a variety of different ways through limb defects through birth, uh, amputations happen in different parts of people's lives through road traffic accidents, military services, uh, cancers and illnesses and, and a wide range of other reasons. Um, so that's why obviously somebody becomes um, to be an amputee and from there the sport itself is designed to allow amputees or those with lung deficiency to play um, at grassroots level and inclusive level all the way through to international level. Seven versus seven, games are 50 minutes long. Uh, the players who are lower limb, limb amputees play on crutches and our upper body amputees playing goals with one arm. Uh, the goalkeeper can't come out of his box. Um, kick-ins instead of throw-ins, there's no offsides, and they're probably some of the key rules behind the game. If the ball crutch, hits a crutch, it's classed as a handball, um, which is, again, quite another unique rule to the sport too. No, that's, that's a great um, kind of description. I know um, some people aren't necessarily exposed to the game, so it's good to hear about the rules and kind of um, unique rules that it has as well. That's brilliant. Interesting about it being a handball if it touches the crutch. That's interesting. Yeah, it causes, causes a lot of controversy when, when the game's in full flow because, as you imagine, there's a lot of crutches, particularly in around the area. So uh, when a handball is given and a penalty is awarded, it's usually uproar because somebody it doesn't think it was intentional, very much like mainstream football it was an intentional handball or not so yeah it certainly uh, certainly creates that level of intensity yeah yeah for sure um so obviously your dad's a bit of a well-known um name within football have you taken any important lessons from him at all yeah i'm, I'm very close to my dad so he's currently working over in india jim shedpur and um, a professional team over there as the head coach of so i work quite closely with him speak regularly with him about uh, my games about my training sessions the the methodology we try to input and ultimately the, the managing of people which you do on a regular basis with 20 plus staff at the national team at england so there's a lot of uh, lessons i take from him he's wealth of experience and always try pick his brains to, to become better um, and and fortunately i think it's probably that point here my life that he, he sometimes does the same myself and we have good conversations and um, good challenging conversations about different areas, different topics and, and that's what you want and it's a, it's a very uh, very good relationship that we've got so over the years, been at his training sessions, been at his matches, I've been very fortunate to be in and around that high performance professional environment um, and pick up many things and digest it in my own way and sometimes put my own spin on it or actually take on board a lot of the things that he does which he does very well. 
yeah, I guess it's a good chance to be a reflective um, practitioner in a way as a coach and see the game from like grassroots to the disability provision to then the professional game as well. So I think it's great to have that sort of knowledge and insight and perspective of the game from all different angles. So yeah, really lucky. That's great. Um, so moving on to the amputee team itself, um, they obviously finished fifth in their Euros in September. Um, can you tell us a bit about your experience of the tournament um, and, and how it kind of went for both the players and yourself? Yeah, 100%. I think first of all, it was a, it was a fantastic tournament and um, very well hosted by Amphibol Polska, which is amputee um, football's Polish football organisation. Uh, it was a very disappointing outcome. Uh, so we'd finished fifth. The reflection of the team's ability and the time and effort we'd put in was probably far greater than that. We got knocked out in penalties in typical English fashion um, in the quarterfinal by Spain. So um, if we had got beyond that, I'd, I'd have backed ourselves to go all the way. But, but we didn't. And we got knocked out where we did. Spain went and progressed on and could beat off Turkey quite convincingly, 6 0 in the final, which Turkey are a phenomenal team and they're the benchmark, pardon me, the benchmark for amputee football currently. So, um, so yeah, we're we're working our way back towards where we need to be. We'll get the World Cup next year and then Istanbul in Turkey, which will be happening in November 2022. So building our way up towards that and hopefully um, put ourselves in a better finishing position for that. But overall, fantastic experience and great opportunity on an international stage after two years with COVID and everything that was delayed there. Um, but at the same time, uh, over overarching a, a disappointment result. Yeah, it's always a shame when a result in a tournament is disappointing, just because obviously behind the scenes, you and the team put loads of work in. Um, is there anything that you're going to take away for 2022? I think that the biggest thing that we took into the tournament was we went there with a really wide range of experienced players, but also young players. Um, something that we're very proud of is seven of the players that come through our junior programme all the way through the England pathway and to have them, some of them making their international debut is phenomenal. The last game of the tournament we played against Italy, we finished with five of those players on the pitch and also David Tweed, who's the, the captain of the team and has been playing the sport for many, many years um, and, and to have him on the pitch scoring with the young players round about him, I think epitomises the work that we've been doing over many years to, to bring these young players through and progress them. So, Going back to your question ahead of the learnings ahead of the World Cup is to give those younger players those opportunities to go and express themselves, uh, to trust them and their ability and, and ultimately see uh, see where it takes us into, into the World Cup in Istanbul. Yeah, for sure. It's always good to kind of develop those young players because ultimately they're going to be the experience that is moving forward. And with that is um, is game time and, and that's how people learn. Um, so, yeah, I fully respect that approach and uh, wish you the best of luck in 2022. Um, so moving on to, you sort of mentioned about coaching, um, moving on to sort of your manager role within the amputee national team since 2014. Um, could you tell us a bit more about this role? Because obviously you've got quite a unique perspective of the game, um, having multiple roles, kind of the jack of all trades, um, if I say so myself. Um, so yeah, we'd love to hear from you from that perspective as well. Yeah, I was very fortunate when I was 16 years old, uh, back in late 2013, early 2014, 
to be invited in to see what Amity Football is all about. So it was a head coach at the time, Peter Wilde, who's now the Halifax Town head coach. And I actually worked with him at the Lancashire Football Association where I'd done my apprenticeship. Uh, so I know all about county football and uh, everything the county FA does and, and operates, which is fantastic to have that insight for two years during my apprenticeship. From there, um, Pete stepped away and I went away and worked at the domestic league, improving the junior programme. And in 26, late 2016, I took the, the role up as the head coach of the England national team. At the time, it was actually great bit Britain and we since reformed to England. So my day-to-day -day role is ultimately to, to create a high-performance environment to make sure the players and staff are working at their optimum. That's difficult, particularly with the resource that we've got available or at times a lack of resource that we've got available. So all our players and staff, including myself, are entirely voluntary. So we don't get paid for the roles that we do. We don't get expenses within the roles that we do. So everybody holds a full-time job, got their own businesses, work in different um, environments full-time, and then are tasked to have this elite athlete role on top of it or work within an elite setup if you're a staff member on top of that full-time job. So immensely challenging, um, but something that I'm very proud to work in a position I am. Love working with people, love trying to make people better, and in turn, try to make a, a really strong team better as well. We've got a lot of talent, we've got a lot of ability, and the thing that we're very proud of is, in many aspects, despite having a lack of resources in some areas, if anybody was to come down to Reese's College where the national team train, it'd be very evident from your first moments that it's very much like any professional football team. So, whether it's League One, League Two, um, in the AFL, for example, a lot of the structure that we've got in place is very, very similar to that. We've got performance psychologists that are qualified, we've got the team doctor, we've got qualified physiotherapists, UEFA licensed coaches. So across the board, everything we do is top end and we try to operate that way at all times. Um, so my role kind of is, is, as you said, jack of all trades, try to, uh, try to do many different things and sit with many different hats on. But my role overall is to have a good insight to each of those departments, technical, medical, the analysis, the performance psychology, the operations, the media, have a good overall knowledge of all of them support the lead members of staff in delivering their programmes and monitor the performance around that and then in turn monitor the players' performances within each of those areas to make sure uh, we're performing as high as we can. Yeah, no, that sounds amazing. I think you said there about a lack of resources and actually it seems like you're still utilising the resources that you've got um, in terms of developing this elite programme with sports psychs, etc. Um, so it sounds like you're doing a really good job and you're right, even though it's a voluntary role, at the end of the day, the day it still opens up people that are passionate um, with work, with working the, with these athletes and really developing the game. So um, no, that's brilliant. And at the end of the day, it's all experience. Um, and that's how you've got such a diverse CV, which is brilliant. Um, so just kind of moving on from that, um, you've obviously got a vast array of experience in other areas too. Um, you worked as an inclusion officer at Blackpool. Um, what did you kind of learn there that's built you as a professional and as a person. Um, and can you tell us a bit more about how you got into the role? Yeah, so I originally worked on Lancashire FA doing my apprenticeship and from there moved across to Oldham Athletic Community Trust before moving over to the role uh, that you've just mentioned at Blackpool's Inclusion Officer. And I think across those three roles, particularly the role at Oldham and the role at Blackpool that I managed to experience was working in a variety of different settings with a variety of different people and personnel. One minute working within, um, with elderly um, participants, whether it was um, mobility sessions, 
um, whether it was just quizzes, whether it was just opportunities to get people together in that social environment. So then other situations where you're trying to work with children, getting them off the street, getting them engaged in a sport, to then working in a nursery setting or a high school or primary school setting. So throughout the day, there's possibly seven, eight different sessions at Oldham that I was delivering, which were completely different in how I had to hold myself and how I had to approach it. And more importantly, how I had to engage the participants within that session. So from that role and, and linking that to Blackpool, again, working within such a diverse community and um, with different people and different backgrounds um, and, and different things that make people really tick and, and really get them involved in sport. And the biggest learning from that was just being adaptable um, and how you be adaptable around people and how you get people to buy into you, how you get people to buy into what you're trying to do um, and that engagement of actually getting somebody tuned into what you're doing and, and enjoying it and, and doing it with a smile on their face is quite common. It's quite cliche phrases that are thrown around, but that on the ground experience and being that person that has to, um, as I said, engage 30 people at this setting one minute and then in an hour's time engage another set of 30 people in a completely different way uh, the next hour. That, that was hugely vast and that, that certainly helped in every aspect, not only of my, my professional career um, and not only within the amputee role as well, but within everyday life. I'm quite comfortable in working within any setting now. If you were to challenge me to, and I'd be quite, I'd feel that I'd be quite adaptable um, to going in and, and doing a real, relatively good job of that. Yeah, at the end of the day, that's what gives you the diverse um, and adaptable approach is having a range of different experiences. Um, and I think there's a lot we can learn from from being an inclusive officer or being in grassroots that we can take into for the professional game. Because at the end of the day, it all stems from our love for the game. Again, sounds cliche, um, but that's why we do the work that we do. Um, and that clearly comes across in the way you're speaking um, with me now and your passion really comes across. Um, so again, speaking a bit more about um, diversity and, and the roles that you've kind of had, again, to kind of unpicking your CV here, is um, can you talk about your experiences as an agent as well? Yeah, so I, I've worked as a uh, registered intermediary for the last three, four years now. Uh, something that I've really enjoyed doing and, and the reason that I enjoy doing it is we've got a cohort of young players. Some of them are now progressing into more senior um, professionals, which has been great over the last few years and working with them. But to have the opportunity for a 16, 17, 18 year old and, and to work with them and progress them through the lifestyle and ultimately their footballing career and everything round about that with them and their family is something I think quite, quite special. Um, and quite refreshing because again it's a completely different approach to how you're doing it it's a completely different reasoning to why you're doing it um, but some of the similarities and transfers from um, the, the, the managing people with the England programme for example to the manager of professional footballer are still very similar so I've been doing it for three four years now and work with a range of different players um, within different systems of the game female players in the WSL through to players in the Championship League 1, League 2 all the way up to Scotland and then even abroad as well in, in various different countries across the globe, uh, working with the contract negotiations, transfers, uh, working with the club um, appropriately as and when required to do that, uh, working with them to perform a psychologist or finance. So there's a whole vast range of things that each individual professional footballer or coach may want to need and that looks different for every single person and what we do is we offer a range of services that's almost bespoke to them and it's tailored to fit them. So when they come to us and we have that initial consultation, we sit down, we, we map out what, what 
professional football looks like to follow them, what their professional lifestyle looks like as well, and how to ultimately get the best out of them and, and what's best for them and their family. So yeah, it's, it's been a it's been a whirlwind of three four years in doing that. Something I've certainly enjoyed doing and, and certainly look to continue to build on as well. It sounds like a very personalised experience um, with lots and lots of different elements. Um, so that must have been fantastic in kind of bringing that into your coaching experiences as well. Um, I can imagine there can be quite a lot of valuable elements, uh, particularly with Talent ID. Um, I guess as a coach, you also have the ability of observation and observing talent. Um, is there anything from your agency that's helped you within your coaching role at all? Yeah, there's, there's lots of different transferable skills with that about it. And I think the, the agency challenges people's perception of agents and, and, and agency. There'll be people who listen to this and they'll think of your big agents that make multi-millions of pounds and, and one, two, three deals. And, and I completely understand that. And, and I get the people's frustrations with it when it can go into other areas of the game. But equally, like any industry, like any area of work, there's some really good people doing some really good things and, and maybe not picking up the same amount of finance that other in the game are and then we like to think of ourselves as a bespoke holistic approach to everything we do and we only have a small cohort of players and managers that we work with because that's only how much time and effort we can offer to it and every player needs to be treated with the utmost uh, time and effort put into them that they deserve so we only probably have 12 to 15 that we work with currently which is quite a small group but going back to your question around transfer skills, managing people, um, good, transparent, open, honest communication is key. Um, and again, that's really key working with anybody in, in any environment, I feel, um, and, and, and even more so when you're working with professional footballers, uh, dealing with the monies, dealing with different aspects of life that's really, really important. There's a lot of trust that's built around that. So yeah, those kind of skills mainly around how you manage them and how you support them um, around your communication, being transparent and open and honest, and then kind of building on from that the, the level of advice and support that you offer and um, that relates to different areas of the game are three things certainly that, that transfer over the coaching to. Yeah, I, I agree with you. Um, you mentioned the word holistically there and sport is definitely about building people holistically um, and you're not necessarily interested in an athlete just for their football ability or their fundamental skills, but also their personality and how they are on and off the pitch or deal with the mental side of the game as well. And I feel like dealing with those, just those 12 to 15 means that you don't overstretch yourself and you're really delivering a personalised experience. So that sounds great. It sounds like you're doing some great work in terms of developing those athletes too. Yeah. Um, so just bringing it back to amputee football now, um, because as a county FA, we kind of definitely want opinions from yourself about how to, how to grow the game and grow the game specifically in our area too. Um, do you have any advice from us on how to grow the amputee game? I've worked in a county FA before, so first of all, I know how challenging and tasking it is to do a number of different roles and anybody kind of looking outside in, sometimes it can be a challenge to fully um, understand how difficult that can be. Um, and at the same time, county FAs across the country do a fantastic job at what they do and deliver. How to raise awareness of the game for me just comes to speaking about it more um, and sorry it was grow the game links to the awareness so for me to grow the game of amputees football it's around the awareness piece so speaking about it more, advertising it more, getting it out there more uh, so most recently there was an FA Disability Cup event uh, which featured a number of different disability impairment groups um, including blind, 
death, cerebral palsy, amputee football, and that was all streamed live um, on BT Sport, which was magnificent to give the game that level of coverage, not only amputee football, but the other disability impairment groups too. And I'm a very, very big believer that each impairment group, um, despite having its differences, should be treated evenly and um, should be supported evenly. And I think when you look at disability sport and amputee football that sits within that, um, and you look at, for example, the, the female game, uh, women's football, and how that's grown over the past five, six, seven years, and has almost come to this point where the, the awareness of it is very clear. People know who the key players are, they know which games are on Sky, they know who the best teams are, they're watching Champions League finals of the women's game. If the, the disability sport could almost, at some point in the future, get to that level, it would be phenomenal. Don't get me wrong, I think that's still some way off getting to that point. There's still a lot of work to be done. Um, and that, that, at county FA level, that mainly for me just comes back to that awareness. If we can start with a little bit of awareness, which we're doing here today, then it'll certainly grow and expand and, and without, not, without a doubt develop too. Perfect. Yeah, as a county FA, um, we're really looking to see how we can grow the amputee game, specifically within Surrey. Um, and I'm sure you have some really valuable advice on how best to do that. Um, so I was just wondering why we have you, um, whether we can unpick your brain on how uh, best to grow the amputee game. Yeah, definitely. And I think I mentioned before how tasking and challenging the role within a county FA is, having previously worked within it. I know it's not easy to cover all aspects of the game and do so in depth and, and the level that sometimes people outside the county FA would expect. So I know how difficult and challenging that is. But to grow the game of amputee football, uh, for me, it's very, very simple. It's through awareness. And not only amputee football, other disability football impairment groups too. And I'm a very big believer that each impairment group, whilst should be treated differently uh, to support their impairment, they should also so be treated evenly across the board. So as much as I'm a massive advocate for amputee football, I enjoy as much watching blind football, cerebral palsy football, deaf, power football, and every other impairment group that's out there. Um, and we've seen the FA Disability Cup not so long ago give the opportunity to many of those impairment groups to feature on BT Sport, which then in turn grew the game and gave that level of awareness. If that was to happen more regularly, then it'd be phenomenal. Going back to how the county FA helps grow it, for me, speaking about it more, making more people aware of it, the local opportunities then that are available and events that are taking place. And if those conversations start to happen and more people are aware of it, then without a doubt the game will start to grow on a local level, domestically, nationally, and then I'm sure across the globe too. That's great. Yeah, it's it's good to hear that even though you're working within a, an impairment specific group, um, you're looking to grow the game um, as a whole um, under a disability pathway. Um, and you're right, it needs to be localised on a national scale, um, like the BT Sport coverage. I think that did a really good job of showcasing disability and hopefully as a county TFA, we can really uh, raise awareness within our county itself. Um, so just as my sort of last resounding thought for this podcast um, is to do with your goals um, of the national team. Um, I've obviously noticed that some national team members um, are full time within other countries. Is this something you have as a goal moving forward? I, I noticed you kind of mentioned that people were taking voluntary roles. Um, is it uh, ambitious to ask for full time roles? I think at the moment we're in a very challenging space in respect of, of resources. So um, whilst we have a great relationship with the FA, the, the England national amputee team don't sit under the FA's banner in regards to impairment groups. So we are an independent charity that runs a team. 
so despite that and despite having a fantastic structure in place there is a lack of funding at the moment to support that that's not to say that we may not be able to achieve funding bid sponsorship or anything that then progresses the game in this country uh, to that level but to make that sustainable I think the level of awareness um, would have to be far greater than it is at the moment um, and, and probably the Paralympic game of amputee football uh, that side of it would need to progress and, and make make a kind of movement to get into the Paralympics which is a currently uh, long term plan for the sport that we're continually working towards and I sit on the World Amputee Football Federation Executive Committee so I know the regular conversations on a daily basis that we're trying to move the sport in that direction and over time I've got no doubt we'll eventually reach there so in the short term will we become full time or even have part time or even paid positions or even expenses for the team the answer to that is no we won't uh, will that happen on a more medium to long term basis I certainly hope it can, it can move in that direction and whether I'm head coach of the England team or working within the committee of the England Amity Football Association over the however many years in the future we'll be certainly working towards that and if there's people out there that are listening that have got good ideas good initiatives or a level of support in terms of financial resource to help with that then of course we're always very very open to having those conversations to see how we can progress as many other countries have over the last few years. Yeah, I mean, like you say, the disability game is really growing. Um, I think obviously the helped, helped and um, it's little things like that that are really growing the game. Uh, and hopefully this will help us moving forward and like you say, get to that goal of being in the Paralympics um, because you're certainly doing a lot of work around that and it, it would be good to kind of get recognised. Um, yeah, unfortunately, Owen, um, our time has sort of come to an end, I'm afraid, which is frustrating because I feel like we could talk about this all day um, and hopefully it's been valuable for our listeners too. Um, but for those of you that have found this interesting, please, please, please uh, have a look at Owen Coyle Jr.'s work. Um, there's various articles and social media channels. Um, but for now, thank you, Owen, so much for your time. Uh, we really appreciate it and uh, we'll be in touch. Thanks for all your support. Thank you.